Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I could never, ever put myself in that situation again. It didn't make me feel safe. And yeah, I had to walk away. And then it was really interesting because at that time I was already building communities for digital nomads, traveling with them and kind of like building out the community that I, I wish that I had had growing up, which was like unconditional acceptance and, you know, a, a drive to be exploring in the world and like making the world a better place and all these things. So I kind of just transitioned immediately without realizing consciously that I was going to go make that community that i didn't feel like I had growing up, or I didn't feel like was accepting of me. This is the Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Brittany Bond. She is a location independent entrepreneur, remote work consultant, community builder, change maker, female entrepreneur whisperer, and the founder of Remote Collective and Women's Circle Mastermind. After working in corporate law for six years in the U.S., Brittany became a full-time digital nomad, launched multiple companies while traveling the world, built numerous female-centering communities, and now spends her time helping women entrepreneurs build the business and life of their dreams as well as helping entire teams efficiently transition to remote work. Brittany has hosted women's entrepreneur workshops and accelerator programs all over the world and has been featured on CNN, Forbes, The Huffington Post, and many other publications. Brittany is currently based in Thailand and has traveled to over 45 countries. Brittany, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. I am so excited to have you here. You and I connected. We actually found out that we know a lot of people in common, and uh, we probably know a lot more than we even realized that we know. And we both are very good friends with Libria Jones, who Maverick Show listeners know, as well as Sienna Brown, who Maverick Show listeners know, and a number of other people. So I was super excited to get you on the podcast. And we're not in person today, unfortunately, because... We are on very, very different continents, but I am actually in the U.S. I am in Asheville, North Carolina, recording this at the moment. And where are you, Brittany? I am on a lovely paradise island called Koh Phangan in Thailand. 
I know it well. I have spent five weeks there living right on the beach and uh, it is an amazing paradise indeed. The food is amazing and that's a pretty, pretty good place to be quarantined, I must say. How long have you been there? Yeah, it's definitely an amazing place. I got here two days before the country lockdown, so I think late March. Okay. And then you've been based primarily in Chiang Mai for a while now. Is that right? Yeah, I've been based in Chiang Mai for almost five years now, which is crazy to say that. That's a really long time. Uh, But I spend six months of the year there and then the the rest of the year I'm traveling. That's awesome. Well, I would love to go back to the beginning and learn a little bit about you in terms of your upbringing, where you grew up and, you know, the, the path that led you to digital nomading and all the things that you're doing now. I grew up in a very conservative religion called Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the people that you see knocking on your door and that you hide from on the weekends. And my great grandparents were in it. So like every single, like great grandparents, grandparents, parents, every single person I'd ever was related to or knew growing up were a Jehovah's Witness. And specifically within my area where I grew up, it was very, very conservative. It was a hard (laughs) place to grow up because I wasn't allowed to have my own opinions. Being a woman within that organization was very like suppressive and I didn't even really realize that's when you know that it's not a healthy situation is that to me it was very normal growing up even though I didn't feel good in it I didn't feel like I fit in Um, I just tried so hard to make it something that made sense in my head. What was that experience like what was the impact of that on you and how did you ultimately deal with that? As a woman I felt like I didn't have a voice you know, you're raised in like a culture where it's like you grow, I got married when I was 18. So it's like you grow up, you get married, you follow, like you follow the leader, you're a sheep or whatever. And I just knew from when I was young, I always, always wanted to travel. Um, So I worked in a law firm and I would go have my whole law firm go paperless because I always wanted to travel. And I wanted to travel with my ex-husband. And then I, you know, He, I found out like through our marriage that he actually didn't want to travel. He just wanted to have kids and live a very traditional life. But I didn't know that when I got married. And so it just became this element of, do I live the life that everyone else wants me to live? And on the outside, it was very much a perfect life for someone else where I, you know, I had a house, a picket fence, a dog, a husband, a nice cushy law firm job, but I was dying on the inside. I was on antidepressants. Sometimes I couldn't get out of bed. And I'm like, naturally at my base, I'm a very positive person. And so I just really knew something was wrong. And I finally got a very good therapist who was (laughs) based in a different state. And so we would do Skype therapy calls. And over the course of two years, I realized that I had a choice of how I wanted to live my life. Like he basically helped me to realize that I wasn't a bad person for wanting to live my own life and that it was okay to speak up for my needs and that that was healthy. Whereas I was raised in a culture where you shove your needs down. It's like for the betterment of the group, you know, you're selfish if you want to speak up and do your own thing. It's actually like morally, you know, a lot of times they try and make it morally a bad thing. Like you're a bad person if you want to do your own thing. So I just sat my ex-husband down one day and I was like, look, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't have anyone on the side. Like I just, I do not want to be married to you. And to me, like that was the hardest thing for me because he wasn't a bad person and I didn't want to hurt him. And I also like getting divorced within this religion is like, 
is like evil. Like they view it as a very negative thing unless someone cheats on someone or someone dies. Like that's the only time you're allowed to get divorced. And so for me to say like, look, I don't want to be married anymore. It was a very radical thing. And then it just kind of all went a little bit crazy from there where I eventually got what, what is called disfellowshipped from the church. So it's like they announce from the platform and like Brittany Bond is no longer one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And in that moment, every single person who is a baptized person within the church is no longer allowed to speak to you. So you become invisible. You become like a ghost to the point where they you go into the church and they walk right by you. No one acknowledges that you're there. And in order for you to come back and get quote unquote reinstated, where it means like some middle-aged white man decides whether you're good enough to be part of the community, you are supposed to come every single week. They have church meetings twice a week. You're supposed to study and you're supposed to not talk to anyone who's not a witness and the witnesses are not allowed to talk to you. So you literally are completely isolated from everyone. Now I've done a lot of research in psychology and this is like a very good, like breaking down your mental (laughs) forces within like a psychological perspective. They're breaking you down in order for you to be built back up by them and the way that they want you to act and, and be in the world. So I did that for two years and I was living in New York and I would, you know, go to my law firm job. I was working on a company, a startup that I wanted to start with a couple other people. And I would just go to work every day, go to the gym. And if I had church meeting that day, I would go and then I would go home and just work on my business until I fell asleep. And then I would wake up and do it all over again. It was like this crazy groundhog day. And I was so stressed out and so depressed from every single person not wanting to speak to me, like my family, my mom, my sisters, everyone. And I was so, yeah, in such a bad place that I got what's called shingles. It's something that happens with your nerves that's caused by stress. And when I went in to talk to the doctor, she said, you know, I only see cases this bad on old people or people who have cancer. And the fact that you are going through this, your body, you're like otherwise very a healthy person in your tw- mid, like early 20s. Like you you need to change something about your life because this is only going to get worse. And, and shingles can cause nerve damage if you let it keep going or if you don't um, ease up on whatever's stressing you out. And so I knew that there was this timeline of like me not being able to handle this anymore, but I was so stubborn that I was like, I'm going to get back in. Like my sister was pregnant. I wanted to see my niece. Like I wanted my family back. And so I did everything that they said. And then I remember I was in Italy when I finally got the call saying that I was going to be reinstated. And at that moment, um, I was with my travel group that I was running. And I remember at that moment, I like just was one shocked that it finally happened. And then two, like all of the feelings that I had suppressed about like all the anger and all of the like, how could they do this to me? How could people that I love or a church that I thought was like, you know, the the right religion or the true religion be doing something that's so harmful to people? It's funny because I got everything I wanted and then I realized it's not what I wanted anymore. I reconnected with my family, which was really nice. But then after a while, you know, they were like, oh, are you going to church? Are you going to church meetings? And I just said, no, I can't do it anymore. It's like, I couldn't within my right mind, within my stable, healthy mind, put myself in a situation where at any moment, middle-aged men within high up in the church could decide whether or not I was worthy enough to speak to my family and whether or not I was good enough to have a community. 
Like I would, could never, ever put myself in that situation again. It didn't make me feel safe. And yeah, I had to walk away. And then it was really interesting because at that time I was already building communities for digital nomads, traveling with them and kind of like building out the community that I, I wish that I had had growing up, which was like unconditional acceptance and, you know, a, a drive to be exploring in the world and like making the world a better place and all these things. So I kind of just transitioned immediately without realizing consciously that I was going to go make that community that I didn't feel like I had growing up or I didn't feel like was accepting of me. Wow, that's amazing. And so when you made the decision to leave the church, what were the ramifications of that in terms of with respect to your family and things of that nature? And how did that eventually pan out? Yeah, I mean, my mom came to the last church meeting with me right before I got what they called disfellowshipped or like kicked out. And she was crying and during the whole thing and like hugging me. And it literally, she was acting like I was going to die because within the organization, they view that. They view you as like spiritually dead if you are kicked out or disfellowshipped. And so it's just a really interesting perspective to like kind of go through this mourning period of who I was before. And then to realize that in a very weird, fucked up way, it was like the best thing that could have happened to me because I had had like these imaginary chains on me my whole life of like, this is who you need to be like tied down to like, this is like, we will give you love as your parents or your community if you act in a certain way. And then suddenly every single person that I, I ever was close to, even my godmother, like wouldn't speak to me. And then to be like, well, what do I believe? Like, who, who am I if I'm not in this community? And, you know, when I talk to a lot of people about this, they say like, I could never do that. I would die if I was kicked out of my community or like the, my family or like the, yeah, everyone I ever knew. And I was just like, yeah, you have that moment of like, is this like, should I keep going? Like a split second. I'm a very positive person. So I, I would never go down the realm of like wanting to kill myself. But I think a lot of people do think those thoughts. And then you get to the point where you're like, or I can decide like, who do I want to be, you know? And it's like this amazing transition for me, at least where I was like, what are my values? What are my morals? What do I, how do I want to show up in the world? And then that's where the, the, I guess the clash has come back is like, even though I got reinstated, my family is like, you're not going to church anymore. You're not following the in line with the way that we want you to be. And so therefore we will not give you the love that you, you want. So like even my mom, you know, I had talked to her a couple of weeks ago and she was like, I had dengue and she was like basically implying that if I was back in the church doing what I was supposed to, I wouldn't have gotten sick. And I was just like, what world do you live in, mom? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But it makes me really sad because her reality cannot accept that I'm happy and like living a really good life and helping people and like being a good person with the reality of me not being a Jehovah's Witness. Like she can't fit both worldviews in her head. And that makes me really sad because I know she really loves me. So at this moment, there was a time period where I was, was close with my family after I got reinstated. And then they kind of realized that I wasn't going to like come all the way back in and like be a Jehovah's witness all the way. And then they, they just kind of now are the a period of not wanting to speak to me again. And that's really hard. I think that my mom will eventually come around, you know, the universe sends you exactly what you need. So when I came to this Island in Kopanyang during the lockdown, I randomly was locked down with like, within my group of friends, like four other people who were also raised Jehovah's Witnesses and kind of had similar stories to me. 
And so it became this really like healing situation where we were all talking about it. And, you know, one of the girls, she's become like a sister to me. And we actually got her mom and my mom, and the, the four of us on a Zoom call together to talk about the situation and to talk about them loving us unconditionally. And like, what does that look like? And that's, that's been super healing just to like have someone else in the mix. Cause I always feel like I'm really alone talking to my mom and within the church, they don't really want you to talk. Like she doesn't have anyone to talk to. They don't want her to talk to anyone else, any other parents whose kids have left because they want to isolate that and make it a shameful thing to talk about because they don't want anyone leaving. And a cult, the definition of a cult is that if you leave, you are no longer accepted within that community. It's like, there's like you're in or you're all the way out. And that's why I've, I really hate that term, like cult, because I think of like, you know, suicide things and like all this stuff. But if you want to look at it from a very like analytical perspective, I would consider it to be very culty and like very brainwashy in the way that they handle everything. And how did that entire experience shape you in terms of the communities that you were then going out and building. And and I'm actually interested too in the transition of becoming a digital nomad, right? Because you sort of mentioned that in this whole process, you were able to become location independent, become a digital nomad and and sort of that transition to, you know, the location independent lifestyle. So I would love to hear a little bit about how that transition happened for you and then how you went on to start building community. Yeah. I mean, on a theoretical level, this is something I realized after it all happened was that I wanted to create spaces and I still do, but this was like my driving force without realizing it was like, I wanted to create spaces where people felt unconditionally accepted because that's how I didn't feel growing up. And I never wanted anyone to feel alone, you know, in the crowd of people or like alone in the sense of not having their community because it was so painful for me. I'm so I'm 99% extroverted. So if this situation hadn't happened, I would never have understood how hard it was to build community because I'm naturally always a community builder. But when I had my community taken away, I realized like how painful it is to not have one, how hard it is to like feel like you belong when you don't have that and to, like your own self-worth gets like completely shaken up. And so it's really driven me to want to create those spaces for other people around the world as I travel, especially women. The transition was interesting because I always wanted to travel. It's like the timing of it all like happened like very universally. So I had helped a law firm go completely paperless, which means like we got all of the notifications from the government, like the decrees from the government, the court orders and everything. We got them all electronically emailed to us instead of paper. And this was such a big deal. If you know anything about law firms, but especially back in 2014, this is such a big deal to have them do this because they're so worried about malpractice and like losing paperwork and all this stuff. And that finally got transitioned. I finished that whole like internal systems override the same time that my divorce went through. And that was the same month that I got disfellowshipped. And so I was like, this is not a sign that I should just like move. I don't know what it is. So I went into the head of my law firm and I said, I am moving to Costa Rica. Like I have savings. So if you don't want me to keep working for you, that's fine. I would love to keep being here. And I had, you know, inadvertently, maybe on purpose a little bit, made myself very indispensable within the law firm. And so they were like, we really can't work without you. And so, yeah, we're going to make this work. And so I moved to Costa Rica and I really just took some time for myself. So I was right below Tamarindo and I I was like 
the only girl in this small little beach town, the only person working remotely. I didn't know digital nomads was a thing. I didn't know the communities of people working remotely was a thing. And I just kind of like processed everything, healed a lot from my divorce and worked online. And then I went back to New York and was like, okay, I need to build my like exit plan. I need to build my my raft to get off this ship of working nine to five. So I went back and like got the most high paying law firm job I could find and then just worked my butt off when I got home on a startup to help people travel. And my initial idea was that I wanted to have a travel group that was only for women. In Costa Rica, I would travel around, I had a car and I would like, sometimes I would stay at like more nicer hostels just for community. And I would find all these women that were there and they were like 18, 19. And I'd just be like, hey, you guys want to go to a waterfall today? And they were always thinking, who is this girl that just is like in her mid 20s, you know, has a, a real job and is traveling. And I, I was just like, I felt really good to be kind of the bigger sister role and to be like, this is what you can be like, like you can be empowered in this way. And like, you can go out and do whatever you want. And I really liked that role. And so I wanted to create a company where I was basically leading a bunch of women around the world and just being like, yeah, we can do this. Let's like travel together. But I got introduced through my ex-boyfriend who launched Impact Hubs around the U.S. He introduced me to someone who was launching a co-living space, a co-living travel company. And at this time, there was no remote year. There was none of these type of things. So it was very radical. We were like, let's do a country a month around the world. Um, and this guy was in Germany and his dad had a house in Bolivia. And so they were going to test it out. And so I was like, I can't go to Bolivia. I need to like make as much money as I can right now. So I worked on the back end of everything, like built out our Instagram, our website, and then we started traveling with the group. And that's when I ended up in Italy where I found out I was reinstated. So it was just like, just kind of, it all happened as everything in my life does, like all kind of at once and together and everything's like overlapping. And when I broke off from working on this company, I was in Chiang Mai. And my boyfriend at the time is a, a web developer and he used to have coding boot camps. And so this is all very random, but we needed a place. We were going to run some coding boot camps in Chiang Mai and we needed a place to do it from. And so I talked to the local co-working space and I said, hey, I noticed you guys like have no events here. And this is like the main co-working space in Chiang Mai. It's called Pun Space. And I was like, I can do a trade with you where I run your events for a month and you let us use the space for as much as we need to for our boot camp. And they were like, yeah, sure. Super nice Thai owned business. And so we did that and it worked really well. And like the events were just like taking off like crazy. Like people had a need for community. And so at the end of the month, I said to them, look, I would love to keep doing this, but I can't do this as a trade anymore. It's like taking way more work than I thought. And I would love to come on. They did, were not hands-on with the space at all. They just had like their assistants running it. And so I was like, I would love to come on and like manage the space with you and help you build it out to more locations. And like, this is the work I've done before. And so they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's try it out. And so that's kind of what started a two and a half year relationship with Pun Space, where I helped them build their, like build out to like three different locations within Chiang Mai. And I basically was like the Pun Space girls, but everyone knew me as like the queen of Chiang Mai, the Pun Space girl. Like I was doing like all the events for everything and like hosting like international conferences at Pun Space and doing lots of things. And then other, other co-workings, we hosted a co-working a conference called CU Asia. It's it started by the founders of Hubud and in Chiang Mai in Pun Space. And from there, all of the co-working owners all over Asia came and they found out about me. And so then they started asking me to come to their country and come to their co-working space and do consulting. So that's when I started traveling around Asia 
And it was so much fun because I would like just bop around and like have a whole community of people just like showing up. Like they would pick me up at the airport and just take me around town. And I was felt like this VIP guest, but I was also helping them and helping them build out their communities there. And so it just, it became like a really fun life. Like uh, when people ask me, how did you get into all this stuff? And I was like, I don't know. I just went from like one fun thing to another. And my whole theme below the surface was building community. That's amazing. So I, I spent a couple of years where I was traveling and just bopping around. And then I was like, I need a home base. So when people talk about their home base being back in the States or wherever they're from, like in Europe, my home base is in Chiang Mai. That's where all my stuff lives. That's where my books are. That's where like everything is. So as the years went by, I was like, I want to be home more. I want to have like my community that I'm building that's benefiting me instead of me giving everything. Um, and that's really how I feel about Chiang Mai. I have like people there that feel like family. And so pre-COVID, your lifestyle structure, you said, was six months of the year, you'd be in Chiang Mai. And then the mm-hmm. other six months of the year, you would travel around the world to other places, right? So how did you select your, when you were living that lifestyle pre-COVID, um, how did you select your travel destinations and what was your travel cadence? Like how would you structure those six months when you were, when you were outside Chiang Mai? So towards the end of a year, so like in December or something, I would sit down and map out conferences I was invited to speak at, different p- friends that are going to be in certain countries that I really wanted to meet up with. I really, I've, I've always wanted to go to carnivals. So like, can I make it from Asia to Rio, like in February or something? So I would sit down and map out all the things I wanted to do and all the places people asked me to be and then see which ones worked and which ones I could do. Um, and then then just like let everyone know. So by the January 1st, my whole year would probably already be booked. And I would say in the last couple of years, it's, it's picked up a lot where like last year I was in 13 countries and some of them I was going back to, it's almost too much. And then this year I was planning to be in, I think 11 or 12 countries. Um, but that's, that's the cadence would be, um, you know, Chiang Mai is like very stable time where it's like four to five months, maybe six months of just not going anywhere, just going on visa runs places. And then the rest of the year, like from March to July or, or August is just crazy travel where I'm like in a country a week in Europe, like speaking at conferences or um, running retreats or something like that. So it's a little bit of all over the place. And I kind of like that. Like I like to mix it up. And I also realize as I'm getting a tiny bit more mature that it's really important to also have routine. Can you talk about some of the retreats that you've run and the workshops that you've organized and the evolution of the Women's Circle Mastermind as well as the Remote Collective? I mean, in whichever order makes most sense to talk about those. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll talk about the Women's Circle Mastermind first. So I've always run a lot of retreats around the world and like done different conferences, especially for women entrepreneurs. And one of the ideas that I had this year was I meet so many amazing women, each country that I go to, but they're normally like launching the thing in their country. So they don't travel as much as I do. And so they don't know each other. And this is like Sienna at Sun and Co and like Libria is now based in the States and like all of these women around the world. And the theme is usually that they're like these power women and they're, they're doing their thing, but they don't really have as a network of other women that are kind of as like crazy as they are in the best way possible, you know, in the sense of being innovative and wanting to go do new things in the world. So I put us all into a messenger chat and I was like, hey, I want to organize a retreat for us. Like you guys don't know each other, but this is something that is really important to me. And this retreat is like, 
for us. It's like, I don't want to charge for this. I just want it to be something that's giving back to all of us. And within five minutes, one of the girls in the group was like, messaged me privately and said, Hey, my parents gave us their mansion in the South of Portugal on the beach uh, for the month of August uh, this year, which is like the most expensive time of year to be in Portugal. Uh, I was so excited. So I immediately wrote back in the group, like, so we have a location and you know, it's free. And like, they even have a car and they're not letting us pay for anything. So everyone had confirmed they were going to go. And like a bunch of the girls were like, we can do these workshops and everyone was contributing in some way. And then coronavirus happened. And, you know, I realized as it got worse and worse that this retreat in person was probably not going to happen. And so then I said, can we all just get on a Zoom call? I just want you guys to meet each other and to see if we can do something with this network. So we got on a Zoom call and I was just like, what is the need here? Like, can I help in some way? Or is this something that, can we do something great with this? And what came out of it was that they felt like they could use a sense of support network and also a community and also accountability. So I was like, well, I do, I run masterminds. Why don't we make this into like a mastermind group just for us women? So that's been going on now for, I would say almost three or four months now, this specific group. And then what I evolved into was half of the time, half of the one hour is a women's circle. So everyone shares about whatever's going on for them and their work or their business life. You can get as personal as you want, or you can get as business as you want. It doesn't matter. And then the second half is one person ahead of time elects to be what we call in the hot seat. So we focus on their business that week and they prepare a whole thing of what's working, what's not working, what they really need advice on. We just go for it. We, we have so many, it really is a mastermind of really amazing, powerful women coming together. And these women also have huge networks in their own right. So a lot of us are merging things and helping each other and business stuff like business deals have come from it. And it's just like blowing my mind because I get so excited when the connections that I create, you know, create amazing things. So they were all telling me like, you have to make this a thing. Like all of our friends want to join this group. And I was like, no, 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 we can't add like random people to our group. It was probably 15 of us in it. And, and then, so they were like, can you start another one? And I was like, well, why don't I make this into a revenue stream? Because I run masterminds in person wherever I am just for fun. And I usually charge a little bit of money for it just to pay for my own time. And then I was like, this could be an online support network and accountability across the world for women. Like I was just like, it blew my mind the implications of something that I accidentally started. So the the vision now is that we have a worldwide Facebook group. We have weekly mastermind online sessions running simultaneously around the world. And then once coronavirus lets us, uh, we can meet up in person and like do retreats and conferences. And so now I have four groups running all at once. So one's in person and three's online. And this is all within two months. And like, I have more people signing up. And my problem right now is that I need to hire more people to help me do the admin and like do all the backend stuff, which is a really great problem to have. And then just the impact that I see it making, like, especially the, the ones in person also, they're here on Copenhagen. We have Sometimes we have 20 women come and they all have corporate backgrounds. They came to Copenhagen and now they're ready to did their spiritual healing stuff. And now they're ready to start a business again. But it's usually a different career and they don't really know how to launch it and they don't have the support network. And so like every week, one of them was like crying because they're just like, this is what I needed. This is exactly the kind of network I needed. This is the encouragement and accountability I needed. So I've started to interview them, put them on my YouTube, which has been great. And so, so that's the Women's Circle Mastermind. The Remote Collective is 
a whole other thing. Yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about the Remote Collective, what it is, how it started and how it operates. Yeah, so I have always done business consulting. I always say I have two buckets. One is encouraging remote work around the world and the other one is empowering women. So my Women's Circle Mastermind is definitely the empowering women. I've done a lot of, ran, I've organized a women's festival, done like lots of different types of things. And this is what's come of it, the product and the thing that I think is going to change the world. And then with, re- with remote work, it's been a lot of testing, me going remote, me helping law firms go paperless and setting it up. And then I worked for a consultancy firm based out of Kuala Lumpur for about a year in 2018. And every month they would, I would, I based in Chiang Mai, <laughs> I made them let me live there and work remotely. And then every month they would fly me to a new country where around Asia, where I'd run um, design thinking, agile, culture change within large organizations for C-suites. So like imagine the Coca-Cola of Asia or like the FedEx of Asia or Singapore Airlines. Like I would fly into Singapore and run a whole week-long workshop with C-suites on the head of Singapore Airlines and do cultural change and all this stuff. I was always trying to figure out how I could go back into corporate and help them because like so many people are suffering. And then I realized, you know, I don't really want to do cultural change stuff. I want to help people work remotely. That is my thing. So I stopped working with this consulting company. I love them, fully support them, but I just was like, this is not my thing. And then I realized that when I was trying to talk to a lot of HR people in Europe and New York and stuff like that on LinkedIn, I was like, what is the thing that's missing for you guys? Why aren't you letting your people work remotely? And they were like, we don't really, we view remote work as sending these people as like a black hole. We don't really understand what people are doing when they're working remotely. And we assume that they're not working, let alone letting them travel and work remotely. That's just like, no, we're not going to let our people do that. So that gave me the idea to start Remote Collective, which initially started as my consulting brand mixed with media. So my the guy I was dating at the time was a filmmaker for National Geographic and Discovery Channel. And him and I, I, I reached out to all my friends who own co-living spaces around Europe and Africa. And I said, I want to come out and do a six-month documentary series about working remotely. And I want I want it to be directed for corporate clients. I want it to be someone can take our videos and show their boss and say, like, this is what it really looks to work in a co-living space. And look, they interviewed LinkedIn and Eventbrite. And they're encouraging people to allow people to work remotely. Like, this is best practice. So I wanted to create media that they could prove to their employers was, you know, it was okay to work remotely. Because at the time, the only media was girls in bikinis working on the beach in their laptops where no one actually works like that. That's ridiculous. So I raised a bunch of sponsorship money before we traveled. We had all these spaces let us stay there for free. And we traveled for six months filming last year and I put it on YouTube. And then that stuff I share on LinkedIn, which gives me a lot of clients that are like, hey, we see that you help people transition to remote. Can you help our team? So then I'll sign up with them usually a three-month project where I consult remotely and just work from an operations perspective and a culture perspective, how to do it successfully. And that's really fun. I I like it. It's like my nerdy side coming out. And I also feel like I'm really helping people, especially because of coronavirus. This all happened last year. I was shouting about remote work for years and no one really, I didn't feel like people were listening as much as I wanted them to. And now like all these videos are going viral because they're like, desperately needing help to work remotely because they're all dumped into it. And so it's been a really interesting time for me to have all the things that I've been trying to promote and campaign suddenly be like, 
I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. Important to people, and they're finally listening on a really large scale. So that's been really fun. That's amazing. That is really awesome. I wanted also to ask you, I know you've built a lot of these communities and you've been intentional about building female centering communities and events and so forth. And I want to ask you if you can just speak about the nomad experience from your perspective as a woman and what are the patriarchal and masculinity dynamics that you've noticed once you got into the digital nomad and the travel lifestyle that you've had to navigate and how some of that have led to the things that you're doing now with women? Yeah, it's been a really interesting time (laughs) to be alive and to be going through all this because in 2016, when I first got to Chiang Mai, I mean, so we, we talk about traveling with a group of people that I pick to come on my travel group, right? So that's, I'm in full control of who comes on and accept their application. And they're like really amazing people. And then I show up in Chiang Mai and it's a bunch of white like dudes who are attempting to do a drop shipping thing or some sort of online business. And they're just assuming that like an English teacher or, you know, a social media marketer or something that they assume to be very feminine um, in their very limited mind. I was very confused by it because coming from a, a legal background, I was usually the only woman in the law firm and usually the only woman that was in a managerial position. And just to confront men who just assumed I was dumb or that assumed that I didn't have a job that was similar to theirs. It was like a really first time for me to face that. And then to talk to all the women in the community and to have friends who had never been to Chiang Mai say, like girlfriends, say like, I will never go there because I've heard it's such a bad place for women, especially in the Facebook group, the Chiang Mai Digital Nomads Facebook group is very you know, negative. Anytime a woman posts into there, they kind of troll them and everything. And I remember thinking, this is stupid. I'm going to change this. And that's the day that I went and spoke to Pun Space and I got that position. I've always wanted positions of power in order to do more good with it. So the second I got control of (laughs) running events and had this position within the community, I immediately used that to um, to empower women. So I would, I would, I did women entrepreneurship nights where it was just like just women came. Sometimes I would do entrepreneurship events where I would only have female speakers. And when men would come up to me, like, why is there no guys speaking? I would immediately ask them, you know, if this was an event with only men speaking, would you come up to me and ask me, why is there no women speaking? And they wouldn't know what to say to that. Um, So I just kind of, in a way, was trying to change the scene. And then I organized this really big women's festival there just to kind of make a statement. So it has gotten better. 
uh, in the last couple of years in Chiang Mai specifically. And then around the world, I think digital nomad is becoming more normal. So there's a lot more women coming into it and feeling comfortable enough to travel and work remotely. And this is a big thing that I'm pivoting my, my YouTube channel, the remote collective YouTube channel to is I want it to be primarily focused towards women digital nomads as the customer base, the person who's viewing it, the ideal viewer, I would be a female digital nomad because I don't believe that there is a YouTube right now that's directly focused towards women entrepreneurs who are traveling. Um, And so I'm interviewing tons of women that I meet along the way and just trying to make videos about like what it's like to work remotely as a female traveler and just in a very practical way, give them a lot of feedback of like what it actually is like and how you can do it in a way that is most beneficial. Like when I went to South Africa, I had like a whole video of, you know, it's not actually super safe here. And this is what you should know, but I still love it here. And I'm still like planning to come here every year, but you need to know these things. Please don't come here without realizing that this is what you're dealing with. So those kind of things. Right. That's awesome. I also want to ask you about another travel dynamic, which is that I feel like a lot of times there's a lot of travelers that are not connecting with the local communities in a meaningful way in the places where they're spending time. And I want to ask you for your observations about that and how you've navigated that with the programs and events and different things that you've been involved with. Yeah, that's a great question. I really believe that as an integral like responsibility as a digital nomad, we have to be giving back or at least attempting to merge with the local community. Um, I don't really like the idea of like we need to bes- like we need to white knight our way into this country and bestow our knowledge onto them. I think it's better to look at it as we each have things that we're bringing to the table, and how can we bring out the collective intelligence between us and the local culture? So, uh, in Chiang Mai specifically, one of my best friends and I, her name's Lily. She's half Thai, half American. We got together and we were hey we want to have friends that are Thai entrepreneurs. Like what's going on? Why are we only doing meetups with only like, you know, digital nomads? And so we created a nonprofit called Chiang Mai Entrepreneurship Association. And most of the people on our board are Thai. And then once a month we do a networking event. Uh, It's a speed networking event where we encourage Thai and English speakers to come together and everything is announced in Thai and in English. It's one of the only ones in Chiang Mai that I know is completely bilingual and like all announcements. And then we rotate through and have everyone meet each other. And it's like the mayor of Chiang Mai will come and the person who owns the biggest mall in Chiang Mai. So like the Thai people that come are really amazing, big shot entrepreneurs in the city. And then the digital nomads that come are people who are super open-minded and wanting to meet these local Thai entrepreneurs. And so it's such an amazing blend of people coming together and wanting to collaborate. I can't tell you how many amazing stories have come from this situation. Uh, one of them is the Tourism Board of Thailand. They're the ones who decide the the regulations for tourists in, in Thailand. The president of Chiang Mai Board, uh, she's become like an auntie to me. Um, <laughs> she's like calls me and we have like afternoon tea. And like she, when she has like an UNESCO World Heritage inaugurations where she's like the, the special guest speaker, she'll invite me as like her plus one. And like, and having that person on my speed dial whenever I'm doing anything new is always really great. So so to me, this is a really amazing story of how how we can just do big things if we decide to band together with, with the locals that we're meeting. And in Bali, when I was consulting at Dojo, 
I wanted to use the co-working space as a bridge between digital nomads who have skill sets and like they can build a website or they can, you know, do something that a nonprofit really desperately needs. How can we use the co-working space to bridge those two people together and also to monitor the relationship so that it's really healthy and things actually get done? I made up something called a social impact hackathon and I had a hundred people come together and we had sponsors and we did a three-day hackathon where we tried to come up with really practical solutions on how to bring these people together. And people came up with like digital solutions, people came up with analog solutions. And I think that co-living program has been going ever since. And to me, that's an amazing success story. They built out like a recycling plant with the locals who were taking the plastic bottles and burning them down into fuel that they can put into their bikes. And now that that specific recycling program, they have like seven other villages that want to they want this recycling program for themselves because they're realizing it makes money and the digital nomads are helping them like build websites for it and like setting up a lot of the digital stuff to connect everything. And, and it's just like blowing my mind, the amount of things that we can do together if we all work together. That's amazing. Let me ask you this in terms of just general, your general thinking on travel ethics for digital nomads who are moving around the world, living in other people's countries, what should be the framework for thinking about travel ethics if you're nomading around? I mean, it's really nice to go to another country and have things be cheaper. I I think that that's like totally normal. But I also think that it's really important to use whatever we have to build up the local community that we're in. So whatever that means, that means like making friends with locals and just learning from them, being open-minded, I think is really important. Trying to learn some, some of the local language. I think it's super disrespectful to live in a country a really long time. Maybe if you're there for a month, whatever, but if you're there for like an extended period of time and to not learn the local language or even attempt to, I think it's super disrespectful (laughs) because there's no way you're going to ever get the respect unless you like try and integrate in this way. So Yeah, I think it's just really important to be open-minded and also to have this mentality of how can we collaborate and work together and how can I give back in some way, Uh, but do it in a way that's empowering to the local community and not I'm bestowing this on you. Because I think that's a very fine line that people don't realize. Yeah, I think that's really important. So what tips would you have for people that are thinking about trying to get into this lifestyle? So they may be in a traditional situation right now and they aspire to become location independent and do the world traveling and all of that. But obviously starting that process is oftentimes a little scary and can be ominous. What is your tip for how to start and how to take the first step? I always tell people that the hardest part is deciding they're going to do it because we're raised in a mentality where someone needs to give us permission to do things. And that's like, you don't have to be raised in a religious cult for that to happen. That's like, you know, your school and your parents and just the culture of, you know, wait for the degree and wait for this and wait for like the the full-time remote job in order for me to be able to go travel. And I completely disagree with that. And it also takes a lot of emotional energy for someone to be like, should I go or should I not go? Should I be a digital nomad? Should I work remotely or should I not? If you decide I'm going to work remotely and I'm going to figure this out, that takes off so much wasted energy. And then you're just focusing all the energy on how am I going to make this work? And that's also why interviewing people on my remote collective channel has been really fun because I get very practical. I'm like, how do you pay your bills? Because it's this, this whole mentality that like us that are out here traveling, 
you know, I've been living abroad for five years and like people look at my Instagram or my Facebook and they're like, you got lucky. Like you must have, someone must have just bestowed money on you or like you are, you know, you're just like someone that is unattainable. And I always tell them like, dude, if I can do it, then anyone can do it. And also like the way that I pay my bills and the way a lot of us pay our bills is very random. And it's a lot of like random things adding up into one or, or there's something very specific that you can learn from. And let me share this video with you of me interviewing this person. So I would say like, do as much research as you can on what other people are doing, because it'll open your mindset. And then to sit and look at where your revenue streams are coming from currently and start being really, really attentive to that. Because especially in the U.S., this big mindset of putting things on credit. And that's also, you know, a chain to the ground when you want to travel. I really believe that everyone should never, ever have debt. And I can't believe that most Americans are very comfortable with debt. So if you talk to most digital nomads, none of us have debt. There's no way that you're going to be out here traveling if you have, like, I mean, a mortgage, whatever. Like that's one thing that is not backed up by anything is just not a mentality that we have. So that's something that I would very much attack if I was at home and I was trying to think of it. Because one of the first things that I did, I remember I, I would have this note, this uh, sticky note on my computer at work and no one else really knew what it was, but it had a plus number and then a minus number. And the plus number was every time I got paid, I put money in my savings and that was my plus. And then my minus number was like how much I paid off in my debt. And when I hit zero, I left. I was like, I'm getting out of here. But it was really important for me to like leave and become a digital nomad without a ton of debt because it really weighs on you. And like being out here, it's such a roller coaster of like um, stuff coming and going and like jobs coming and going. It's like this magical thing of the universe really helping you out. But you kind of have to set yourself up for success in that way, which is, in my opinion, having no debt and doing your best to have some savings. And what would be your top tips for female solo travelers in particular, based on all of your experiences? Don't be scared. Like everything's amazing. It's not as unknown as we view it. I traveled a lot back and forth and stuff, but like the day that I was leaving New York and I knew it was going to be the last time I was ever going to live in the States, at least for like a really long time. I had this moment of what the fuck, like I am scared. And you know, what if I get out there and like somehow lose all my money and like, I don't have anyone helping me. And I, I was married for six years. So I was so used to like being with a partner that was very like caretaking and protective. And as a woman, it's very, sometimes can be very overwhelming to get on the plane and just be like, I'm going to go out there on my own. And that's really scary. So I would just want to tell you that it's not as scary as you think and you can totally do it. And it's so exciting and amazing once you're out here and it's super safe and like, don't worry about all the things that people are worried about in the States where they don't really understand what it's like to travel as a digital nomad. Because I was really upset when I was telling people how excited I was to go on a trip and they were like, oh, be careful about getting raped, you know, and why don't you wait for your partner to go with you? Why don't you wait for your friend to go with you? And I was just like, why would you say this to a guy? Like, this is not okay. Like, you know, this is the 21st century. If I'm going to Chiang Mai, which is like one of the safest places in the world <laughs> for women, from like a Thai perspective, local perspective, it's super safe there. Everyone leaves their bike keys in their bike and no one locks their door. It's such a safe place to have someone be like, you're going to get raped. And it's like, come on. But I would also say the for guys and girls, the best way to integrate into the digital nomad community even before you get there is whatever city you're going to go to, go on Facebook and type in the name of the city plus digital nomads. So 
for instance, like Chiang Mai Digital Nomads or Lisbon Digital Nomads, and there's always a Facebook group. Sometimes there's Facebook groups for women. So like there's Chiang Mai Nomad Girls group and Bali, I started one called Bali Nomad Girls. So join those Facebook groups ahead of time. Just make a post into there saying like, hey, I'm coming in a month or I'm thinking of coming this year. Like, what are your tips? And people are so helpful and they're so like, yeah, come out. Like, let's meet up. Let's get a coffee when you come. And then you realize wow, it's not such a scary, lonely thing. Instead of I'm leaving everything behind, I'm like going towards a whole new community. I'm going towards like a ton of adventure. That's awesome. Really, really good advice. I also, Brittany, want to ask you about Brazilian (laughs) jiu-jitsu and what it means to you and what your experiences have been with it around the world. Yeah, jiu-jitsu has been such a fun thing and a hard thing for me, I guess, and both at once because I initially got into it. I was dating a guy who was an amateur boxer and like very into martial arts and stuff like that. And we were in San Francisco at the time for a startup he was working for. And I was like, I want to learn some self-defense. I'd done, taken self-defense classes when I lived in New York. And he was like, why don't you try a Brazilian jiu-jitsu? It's like self-defense. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess. So I went to one class And the guy who owned the gym took me under his wing during that class and like showed me a bunch of moves. And I was able to put him in an arm bar my first class. And I was so excited. So I got hooked immediately. And so I ended up going back a lot there. I didn't realize that this gym that I went to, which is Hoff Gracie, San Francisco, is like one of the most famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms in the world. And like Hoff Gracie himself, which is a very famous person, took me under his wing and kind of mentored me. And he still follows me on Instagram and we catch up all the time. And So I had like a really warm introduction into it. And all the guys in the gym took me under their wing every day. I was work. I would work on my business and I would go train for like three hours. And I was the best shape I've ever had in my life. And I just felt so empowered. But jujitsu on the flip side of that has been an interesting thing that I don't really say a lot is I've had a lot of sexual violence in my life. And that's the reason why I wanted to get learned to self-defense. So there's moments of panic when I'm, when someone's on top of me, like attempting to strangle me and they're a lot bigger than me. And then my brain just goes into like fight or flight mode where I can't remember the moves and I just start freaking out. And so this has been like, it's been such a progressive experience because it's also at this point in my life, I'm the things that I'm involved with, I'm very good at, and I'm considered an expert in. Whereas jujitsu, I'm still a white belt and I've been doing it for three and a half years now. And it's just really interesting to show up on the mat and just be like, I'm the beginner in this situation and I have to kind of lean on other people to teach me things. But on the flip side of that, when I do lean into it, I have the best community in jujitsu around the world and people are always surprised that I do it. And I've trained at over like 10 or 15 gyms, like around the whole world. And I keep in touch with everyone. And there's like this amazing gym here on Copanyang. And I love being part of very many different types of worlds. And I would say jujitsu is the world that is like the most different than my everyday life. And that's also why I like it. That's really awesome. All right. Last question. And then we're going to move into the lightning round, Brittany. I want to ask you how you deal with stress in business or in life in general when things get really stressful. What techniques do you use to mitigate either maybe even preemptively mitigate, but then when you have a really stressful moment um, in your business or your life, how do you manage that stress? I try to sit with it. So I do a lot of journaling every morning and I just try and like work through whatever process is happening for me and to really honor it. 
So, I mean, that's a very foo-foo thing to say, but basically instead of like freaking out and reacting, which I normally would do, I've tried to slow down and let it settle. And just like, how do I actually feel about this? What should I do? What's healthy for me? And then business mentors have saved my life. So I have a couple around the world and they're kind of like adoptive moms and dads for me. And I can call them at any time and just vent to them about what's happening. And they'll give me a really good perspective. And I really think that if you don't have a business mentor who is more mature than you are, you know, these people are like 20 years older than me. So they're kind of, yeah, like on my parents' level of maturity, but they also are, have, are very successful in their business. And so I can get this perspective. It's okay. This is normal growing pains and you're not crazy. And just, this is what you need to do. And they're asking me, like, how are you taking care of yourself? Because of the way I was raised, I moved out when I was 17 and then I got married. And then I was, you know, at 24, there was no support, like when I left the church. And so I've never really had anyone to fall back on. Like when people talk about like, oh, if it doesn't work out, I can just go live with my parents in the States or whatever. I've never had that safe haven to go back to. So I've always been in survival mode. And I didn't realize how much this affected me until last fall where I was finally in a spot like financially and in my career where I could slow down a little bit and not be in hustler mode. And that's when I realized how tired I was emotionally. And I was, wow, I need to integrate this resting period into my normal everyday life. And so that's what I've tried to do where the weekends are my, I do not look at my phone or my computer. I try and do everything before or after. And it's funny because I kind of structure my time as if it's not a nine to five job, but a more traditional schedule. But that actually helps me because otherwise in this lifestyle, you know, you work at home or you work wherever. And it's like, you could literally be working every single day. And I, for a long time, that's what I did. I was always on and it's not healthy at all. So I would just tell people, please build in rest time. Even if you're trying to build, you know, the biggest company in the world and make the most impact in the world. If you do not give yourself time to rest, you will burn out and everything that you've ever worked for will not happen. (laughs) <laughs> really good advice, Brittany. I agree with that entirely. All right. At this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Yes, I'm ready. Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly impacted you over the years that you'd most recommend people check out? I really like the book called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Awesome. What is one tip that you have for people to level up their mindset? To write out their perfect day. And if you could literally have anything you ever wanted in the world and have that in one day, write it down from the time you wake up, like on the hour, like if you wake up at seven and then at eight, this happens, this nine, this happens, write it out, look at it, and then lay down on your bed and meditate about how it will feel when you have this perfect day happen and what you will do when that happens. And then meditate from like a year from now when that perfect day is a normal thing. How does that feel? I did this six months ago when I was told you I was like slowing down last fall a little bit and really figuring out what I wanted my life to look like. And then two weeks ago, I woke up and I was, oh my God, this is my perfect day without realizing that I had transitioned my life to that. I just had naturally gone that direction where like in the morning I was recording this badass woman for my YouTube. And then I had like a mastermind thing I was doing. And then I was consulting people. And then I had a party at my house. It was like all the things I loved in one day. 
And it's just so powerful. And then you sit down and you do it again, you know, if things change. That's awesome. Who is one person currently alive today that you've never met who you would most love to have dinner with? Anybody in the world? I think it would be Brene Brown because I think she's super down to earth, but she really understands the community stuff. And that's something that I've really learned a lot from her. And I would love to just sit with her and be like, can we collaborate on something? I think one day that will happen. So yeah, I would love that. That's awesome. What is one travel hack you can recommend to people? Buy all of your tech when you're in a Western country. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I wish I had access to um, Amazon right now where I can order microphones and different things I need tech-wise. And I cannot get them here in Thailand. Good tip. All right, Brittany, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you'd most recommend people check out? I love the south of Portugal because it reminds me of California where I'm from. And just the whole ocean there is amazing. Chiang Mai, of course, is home for me. And I've been really, really getting into Brazil. So I, I went to Rio for carnival this year and the Brazilian culture and the music scene and the digital nomad scene is all like amazing there. So yeah, I would recommend all those places. That's amazing. Did you go other places in Brazil outside of Rio? Because that is also one of my favorite countries as well. No, I didn't. I really want to go back. So I was there just for carnival and I had to, I had everything very scheduled. I had to be somewhere else. So I was only able to be there, but I ended up staying a little bit longer. So I was there for almost three weeks. And it was really nice because I met people there. They're my friends from around the world and they spoke Portuguese. So they had already had local friends. And so we really saw like what it was like to live there, like from the local perspective. And I was thinking like, I could live here. This is really cool. Except for the whole safety thing. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's really epic. All right. Last question, Brittany. What are your top three bucket list destinations, places you've never been that are highest on your list you most want to go? Hmm. I really want to go to Japan, which is very funny that I've never been there because I'm in Asia. I, yeah, I want to explore more Brazil and I just want to like live in the continent of Africa for like a whole year and just see everything. So I would love to do that and create more opportunities for more digital nomads to go there and partner with the local community. Awesome. All right, Brittany, I want you to let folks know how they can connect with you, how they can follow you on social media, how they can learn more about the Remote Collective, the Women's Circle Mastermind, your YouTube videos, and all that good stuff. How should they come into your world? (laughs) Yeah, I think the best way is on YouTube. I have a channel called Remote Collective and subscribe to that. I'm doing videos every week. And then on my Women's Circle Mastermind, that's on my website, which is my first and last name. So BrittanyBond.com. And you can sign up online for that. It's such an amazing network for the Women's Circle Mastermind. I also do business consulting in general for people who are wanting to start their business or start digital nomad life. So you can also sign up for that on my website. And and then on LinkedIn, I'm always on LinkedIn. It's funny because like a lot of people in digital nomad worlds are not really necessarily on LinkedIn. There's like this bubble of digital nomads are on Facebook and corporate people are on LinkedIn. And I, I kind of go everywhere, both back and forth. So yeah, people can find me on LinkedIn just under my name and I'm happy to chat. 
Awesome. We are going to put all of those links in the show notes, folks. So you can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. Go to the show notes for this episode. We're going to have Brittany's social media handles and the links to all of her website and YouTube channel and everything else you can connect with her. Brittany, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.